purpose. It fits in with our passage today, which is 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you could open there. But, but uh, that clip got me so pumped up as a kid. Like, I remember when I watched that, I went out and just started randomly jogging places. And I would go down to our basement and start, like, curling paint buckets, you know. I punched the dog a couple times, you know, like roughhousing with the dog. It just excited me. Um, but I, you know, think about this. You don't have to raise your hand, but is anybody like you know, Rocky had a goal in mind, and for many of us in our lives, we've set a goal for ourselves. And how many of you have had a time in your life where you set your mind to something and accomplished it? Whether it be like you wanted to do this very strict diet for like 30 days, or maybe you wanted to quit smoking. I mean, I mean, probably a bunch of us here that have uh, tried or been successful at quitting smoking. And uh, it's not always easy. Um, but what does it take to stick to a diet, to quit smoking, to run a marathon? What does it take? It takes discipline. Yeah, it takes discipline. It takes us, it takes focus, right? It takes time. It takes energy. Like nobody wakes up one day who smokes a pack a day and, sa- and just suddenly just stops smoking. It usually takes some type of willpower and a goal to accomplish that feat. Nobody does these things without being motivated by a prize at the end, right? Like a prize, like there's got to be something. So like for me, some of you guys know like my wife is really, Nicole who's in the front row here, is really into CrossFit. Is anybody familiar like with what CrossFit is? It's like an intense workout thing. It's really intense. She's been doing it for like six or seven years of going like multiple times a week. And so a couple years ago, I wasn't doing anything. Like I really wasn't doing anything and uh, I didn't exercise. My steps per day were probably under 15. So I was just not very active other than just playing with my kids and working around the house. And so two years ago, I started to do CrossFit. And CrossFit, if you guys know, is like they have classes. And so um, you have to get up. Like for me, I can't really do it in the afternoon because we have kids' commitments. I can't really do it during the day because I'm at work. And so I go to the 6 a.m. class. So that means I have to get up at 5.20 every day and go to the class. So, so that took a lot of, of effort and a lot of motivation. And, you know, you had to kind of have a prize in mind to do that. So I've been doing that. I get up about 5.20, four to five days a week for two years and go to a 6 a.m. class. So what keeps me motivated to do that? Like, I, I, I have, like, three prizes that keeps me motivated. Like, number one, I want to be healthy for my children, right? Like, my kids are very active. I want to be healthy so I could wrestle with them, throw them around. I could run with them. I could play with them. That's one. The second prize is I get to do something with my wife, right? Like, she goes, she's been going to the 6 a.m. for, like, three years before I did. And, like, I got to enter her world and just do something with her. And that was awesome. Now we talk about it. We have our friend groups there, and we get to go together, even though we don't talk on our way to the 6 a.m. <laughs> it's a little too early to talk, so we don't really start talking to the way home. But so I get to be healthy. I get to be with my wife. And the other part is, like, I think it's really important to us is we get to be the light to people who don't go to church or don't know Jesus. And so we have a big group of people there that are our friends. A lot of them don't go to church, and some do, but a lot don't. And we get to be Jesus to these people who became really our dear friends. And so that's what keeps me getting up at 520, because I really don't like getting up at 520 in the morning. So 
that's kind of my motivation, but we're driven by a prize. What's the prize of like, you know, exercising and eating? It's usually like they either want to feel better, they want to lose weight, they want to be healthy, they want to be able to live like a long time. What's the goal? What's the prize of quitting smoking? Like you don't die of cancer, right? <laughs> like I don't want to die of cancer. I don't want to chew because I don't want mouth cancer. Or I just want to be healthier so when I have grandkids, I can run around and do all that stuff. And so, you know, we all have a prize that motivates us. And in, today in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul is talking about competing in the games and going for a prize and equates it to like living the Christian life in us as everyday Christians to live our life as Christians with a goal in mind to win a prize. So that's kind of what today's about, okay? So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have your phones, tablets, Bibles, or you can look at the screens. We're continuing our series through this, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 says this. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified to win the prize. Okay? So he goes into this analogy, right? Right after he tells them he wants to win people to Christ, he, he shares this analogy. So if you read this, like, what is, the, what is the race to us? Like, to them, he uses analogy, like they had something like the Olympic Games going on near them, and they knew about these games. But for us, like, what's the race? What do you guys think? Like, like life. Like, also, living the Christian life or living for Jesus is the race, Right? Like, you're either in the race, you're out of the race, but if you're in the race, you're living for Jesus, and that's kind of the analogy for us. Um, accomplishing Jesus' mission, being a good follower of Jesus, right? Just living the Christian life is our race, okay? So when you guys hear that, that's kind of what he's comparing it to. Um, are we going to be perfect in our race? Absolutely not. If you guys watch sports, like football or baseball, like nobody's perfect in their race. It's same in the Christian life, you know, there's, like, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to fall flat on our face. We're going to stumble. We're going to sin. That's why God's grace covers us and forgives us. And it's, you get back up and you keep running the race, right? Do you know people who, like, maybe fallen and they, they just stayed down and left the race? Or maybe they've messed up and they're like, I messed up too many times. I can't do this. It's like, that's not true. We get back up and we keep running the race. And so he gives us this, how to run the race. And so in it, he also talks about run in such a way to win a prize. And says, like, in the race of the games, everybody's running, and only one person wins the prize. He's not saying that in the Christian race, there's only one person who wins a prize. He's just saying run the race to, like, as if you want to win a prize, and as if you're going to win. But for us Christians, there is a prize that should motivate us. There is a prize that should excite us. It should get us out of bed in the morning. It should get us coming to church. It should get us doing our spiritual disciplines. And Paul talks about this in, the, in its context. The prize he's specifically referring to is winning people to Christ. Do you remember that? Like last week, if you were here, he said, 
the Jew, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To the, like, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. So I became all things to all people so that I might win some to Christ. And so that's kind of what he's talking about. He's like, I train and discipline my body so that I might win the prize, or I possibly can win the prize of seeing people come to Christ. But do you know, like, on top of the joy of seeing people come to Christ, which should be all of our joys, all of our excitement of seeing our friends and family come to know Jesus, there's also, did you know the Bible talks about that in the end, the final judgment for Christians, we will stand before the Lord and he will give us like spiritual treasures or heavenly treasures when we enter heaven. Okay? I may be like, that's weird. Is there going to be like an economy up there where we're going to have to like spend these treasures or have these treasures? And I don't really know exactly what it looks like, but I know that for us Christians, when we stand before God in the final judgment, we are not going to be judged based on the sin we did, because as you know, as Christians, we're all covered by the blood of Jesus. We'll be judged based on the good we did, and we'll be given a, a prize. And that's that great verse that says, when I stand before God, I want him to say these words. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter paradise. And by the way, here is all the treasures you earned. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but I envision us like either having our place prepared, filled with the treasures, or he hands us our treasures. I don't know. But Jesus talks about this in Matthew 6. He talks about these, this prize we're going to earn at the end. Or treasures. It says this in Matthew 6, uh, verse 19 through 21. It says this Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's like, Hey, I know you're so focused on accumulating earthly wealth to put under your mattress or put in a bank or do something with, and that's okay, but let that not be your only focus because you need to focus on earning treasures in heaven where moth and rust, they will never be destroyed, it can't be taken from you because we all know if you store it under your mattress, your house can burn down. And if you put it in the bank, the bank could go bankrupt. <laughs> Everything could happen. Put it in the stock market. The stock market could get wiped out. Like, he's saying put it in heaven. So it talks about the good things we do here on earth will equate to treasures in heaven. And so all we earn here on earth, I don't know if you know this or not, is only good for about 100 years. And when we die, we leave this earth like we came in naked. <laughs> There's no U-Haul behind it. All the things we've earned and all the collectibles you have and all the beanie babies you love so much are just going to be left behind and given to somebody else and be thrown in a garage sale. <laughs> but when we get to heaven, we'll have something to look forward to. Also, it says this in Matthew 6.27, a little, uh, a 16.27, a little bit later in Matthew. It says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to to what he has done. So at some point when we enter heaven, there's going to be this giving of rewards. Uh, and that's what even he says now. He says, all these runners, they beat up their bodies and train so hard to get this temporary crown 
shouldn't we as Christians live for Jesus in such a way that we win this prize that's never going away? Shouldn't we be more excited, more self-disciplined, more encouraged to run in such a way that the treasures that, because the treasures that we get will never go away? So our focus should be so much more on that. And so that's kind of the point of today is like, let that prize motivate you and live your Christian life to the fullest. So he goes into this in verse 24. So I'm going to break down this verse by verse, but in verse 24 it says this, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So again, he's not saying that only one person gets a prize. He's saying run with enthusiasm, living the Christian life with purpose. And so as I said, there is this thing. So Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthian church, and in Corinth, there was outside about five to ten miles away, there was this thing called the Isthmian Games. And back then, they also had the Olympic Games, but that was a little bit farther away. But these games were about 10 miles away, and they were the second biggest in all the world. So everybody came from all over the world, athletes, spectators. And oftentimes in Scripture, Paul refers to these games because people knew them so much. It's like it's in their town, right? It's they know it so well. So he uses it as an illustration. And maybe, he's, maybe the people in Corinth see people running by their houses, training for the games. Maybe they're doing like Rocky did in that video of Rocky, and they're just like, punching like dead cows maybe? I don't know. Um, maybe they're like running up the stairs at the, at the Colosseum. But there, he sees people training. And Paul is using this as a metaphor. And he's saying, do you see how hard these guys are training to win a leafy crown? And he's saying, shouldn't we as a church be so much more motivated to live for Christ? Shouldn't we be as passionate as they are? And have we, have we lost our passion maybe? Um, has anybody here done a marathon before? Is there any marathon runners? Okay. Marathon? Oh, a half. There you go. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. I did a 5K once and about died, so that's like nothing. Uh, yeah, so if you guys know, uh, Pastor Brian, I don't know if he's in the back or getting ready for the meeting afterwards, but Pastor Brian is doing a marathon like in a month or so. So he's, do, he's going to the, do the Detroit Marathon. He hasn't talked about it, but he's going to be running this Detroit Marathon. And I think a marathon is like 27 miles almost. And so if you train for a marathon, you have to run. Like there's a progression, right? Like you start running a couple miles, then you run 10. And then he's like up to running like 18 miles in one day to prepare for the marathon. He asked me if I'd like to do it with him, and I said, heck no. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I just don't. I don't like running that much, and thankfully in CrossFit, there's not a lot of running, and I only do an hour a day and not 20 miles a day. So I said no, because I realize if you do a marathon, it's a commitment, right? You're committing your time, not only that day, but you're committing like six months to train for the marathon. You have to eat right. You have to run a certain amount and follow a like, Eventually, you're running like 15 hours a week, um, and it's just not something I wanted to do. But you have to be focused, and it's the same with our Christian life. You know, I think about this a lot um, in the church. And could you do me a favor up there in the sound booth? If you don't mind, is, turn those house lights all the way up a little bit, or all the way, please. I want to be able to see everybody's face a tad clear. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I just want to look people in the soul when I say this. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but there's something interesting about the church. As I say, like, the reason we did this during worship 
of praise because you guys get a chance to participate. And I love that, right? You guys all got in groups and prayed for one another. Number one, prayer works. Prayer is powerful. And it works and we need to be doing it. But number two, we all need to be like doing the work of the church because you guys are the church. Very important. When people, like what, there's an interesting thing that happens in the church. Is in the church in America, like Sunday morning is a public service, right? Anybody is welcome to come to church. And if anybody comes to church, they're fine. We're going to push you for something more, like to become a J-Road partner. We're going to push you to serve. We're going to push you to pray with one another. And if people don't like being pushed a little bit out of their comfort zone, they're probably not going to like J-Road. Okay, that's kind of my heart a little bit. Um, I know that's Kingdom Life's heart, too. And I, you know, meet with Nick Wagonmaker and talking to him about Kingdom Life. That's their heart, too, is... Um, but what happens is in a lot of churches are you can come to church and you could sit and kind of just be a passive participant for decades, never doing anything, and thinking that, hey, I'm in the seat, I'm good with Jesus. And when you look at Scripture, people said, hey, Jesus, we want to be your follower. And Jesus is like, no. And he's like, well, why not? He's like, okay, if you want to be my follower, sell everything you have and come follow me. And the guy's like, I don't want to do that. And he's like, sorry, you can't be my follower. Another, another instance, somebody's like, hey, Jesus, we want to follow you. And he's like, okay, well, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man does have nowhere to lay his head. So we're going to be sleeping out in the forest, and we're going to sleep out. Like, we don't really have places to stay, and we're out all the time. And the guy's like, no thanks. There is such a high level of commitment to follow Jesus and to be a believer in in. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, count the cost. If you're not willing to leave mother, father, spouse, child, I mean, it's very extreme stuff, to be my disciple, you're not willing to be my disciple. And it's like, whoa, turned a lot of people away. And when he had his biggest crowd, if you guys are Bible scholars, know when he had his biggest crowd, he said, listen, if you guys aren't willing to drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can't be my follower. And they said 90% of the people went away. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? You're turning away the crowds. And he said, I, I believe, because he says later, I want you to count the cost of being my disciple. I don't want you to just flippantly sign up for the marathon and just show up. It's, you know, if you want to be a Christian, you have to make a commitment in your heart, like, I'm following Jesus, right? And it's a commitment, right? It's a, it's a, it's, it's a commitment. Number one, we get to receive eternity, and it's welcome for everybody. It's not hard. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I'll give you rest for your souls. So my burden's light. But following Jesus isn't just a casual thing. It's a thing that you have to think about and say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be, be a part of him. And it says we have to lay down our lives for him, okay? So it's almost like when he said count the cost, he's like, you just can't be flippant. Otherwise, you're going to follow Jesus, and in a little bit of time, you're just going to fall away, and you're not going to follow Jesus anymore. Or you'll prove that your faith was not real, and then you'll fall away eventually. And so he's, he wanted his followers to be serious about that commitment, basically. Okay, verse 25. Paul goes on to say, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, and they do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. So Paul says, again, that they go through hard training. You see these guys running. They're just doing it for a temporary prize. We run, and we're doing it for an eternal prize. He said their prize does not last. It's like, okay, their prize doesn't last. Like their crown eventually, it's made of leaves, usually what they got when they won. 
that was gone. It's like, well, what about the accolades? Wasn't that something? I mean, that's not always much because think about this. How many people here remember who was a Super Bowl MVP last year? Probably not a lot of people. That's last year, the biggest sporting event in history. Like, nobody knows. I mean, it's here today, it's gone tomorrow, nobody cares. <laughs> On to the next season. Um, and Paul says, he's like, they were so driven and motivated, but for what? For something temporary. And so he goes into this amazing contrast where he says, as people, as Christians, we overvalue the temporary and we undervalue the eternal. We make a huge deal about the stock market, which is going to be here today and gone tomorrow, but we don't really care as much about the things of eternity. And he's like, man, if you knew that for the next six billion years in eternity, that the, what you did here on earth will equate to treasures in heaven, you would have been living your Christian life with so much more intentionality. Like, hey, I want to, what little time I have here on earth, I want to make the most of it because I'm going to have to, I'm going to be in eternity. And the one thing we can't do in eternity is lead people to Christ. That's only a here thing, you know. We probably won't be able to, we won't be able to serve the poor in eternity. We won't be able to love the poor and needy. There's a lot of things we won't be able to do. It's just here on earth that we do to store up those prizes in heaven and to hear our God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So he's saying, be self-disciplined. Be self-disciplined. Like, be intentional about it. So he said, be, have self-discipline over your bodies, over your spirit, to run our race for Christ. So a few things, if you're, if you're running a marathon or doing the games, you have to, what are some self-disciplined things they do? Shout out a few. What do you think? They have to run. That's an easy one. I teed that one up for you guys. They have to eat healthy. They have to sleep. They have to, like, make sure they're getting enough sleep. So as Christians, like, what are some of our spiritual disciplines? Like, what are just some of the few things that are, spir are spiritual disciplines? What do you guys think? Prayer? What else? Reading your word? What else? What's that? Living it out? Yeah. What else? Worship? Yeah. So I distilled a five spiritual disciplines down to five. There might be more. There's for sure probably more, but I wanted to give you guys five. And I'll talk about this at the, here and at the end. But here are our spiritual disciplines. I think it's on the next slide. Um, one I put is quiet time with God. I think it's super important that we spend a quiet time with God on a daily basis. What? I don't got time for that! Like, find the time. Find the time. Or else I'm going to look up your Netflix account and see how much Netflix you watch a day. I'm going to look up your cable and see how much cable or Netflix we watch. So spend quiet time with God. Just get away for a short period of time. For me, I typically spend about 30 minutes, maybe more, maybe a little bit less sometimes. Maybe I don't do it a day of just being alone with God and reading his word. If you don't know where to start, we have these Our Daily Breads out here and in the lobby that you can grab and it'll help you read the word pretty easy. And then praying to God and we've done many prayer series, so we kind of equipped with that. Uh, fasting. Fasting is something that we're going to start to do more as a church body. Um, it's also something you should do on your own. It's really important when there's something big going on in your life and you're trying to discern God's will to fast, pray and fast about it. Um, so coming up here in September, we're going to fast as a church on a day of the week and we'll let you guys know about that. 
but usually fasting is skipping one to two to three meals a day for the day, and you starve yourself a little bit physically to connect with God spiritually. It's a biblical practice that Jesus talks about. It's good. Um, tithing, um, giving to the church, uh, bless, you know, giving back to the mission of what God has given you. Um, fellowship in the church is just, number one, you being here on Sunday makes a difference. Whether you believe it or not, it makes a difference. If you come on Sunday, like number one, you got to pray with somebody this morning. Number two, there might be somebody here who needs to hear a word from you or maybe just a hello. It's good that they see you here. Number two, if you're just here on a Sunday, somebody be like, hey, I know that guy. He works where I work, and I see what he does at church. I think that's pretty cool. I kind of want to be like him. You know, just being there in the church and being present. But we all have to be involved in a church body. It's super important. And then, you know, another discipline is Sabbath rest. Everybody here should take a day off a week and just rest. Like, that doesn't happen. I'm not saying, if it doesn't happen, I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm saying you're missing out on, like, really good things. Like, taking a day off of rest. If you have to work, I know sometimes some of you here, and I'm, like, this isn't a heaven or hell issue. If, if you have to work for seven days a week for a few weeks because you just have to for your job, I get it. I, I get it. It's been there. I was a plumber before I was a pastor. Um, so I get it. But if you are choosing to take and work seven days a week endlessly and volunteering for it and sacrificing that Sabbath day of rest, then you're missing out on something really good. That's kind of how we're designed to have a day off, to be with our families, to be away from our normal work, to spend extra time with the Lord, um, to worship together if, if today's your day. Um, doesn't have to be Sunday, I don't believe. Um, so these are just a few, and I'm not going to like go in depth on each one. I'm going to put them out there for you guys. But how do I know these are disciplines? Because if we don't intentionally set our mind to doing these five things, they're never going to happen. And you guys have been in the church long enough that, and you've been in seasons where you could, I mean, some of you are like, I don't do any five of those right now. If you're here today, you're at least doing fellowship in the church, so. <laughs> or if you're watching online, uh, if you can't be here. Uh, so, but there's people who say like, hey, I just, I haven't done any of these. I don't do any of these. And so, okay, it takes discipline. These are commands in God's word that we should be doing. So he's saying these athletes get up at 4 a.m. and run and discipline their bodies and do all these things. We should be focused on doing these things. And we have a helper with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, so we kind of have a cheat code living inside of us to help us that brings about transformation. Amen? So we have a helper. that Jesus gave us his Spirit to live inside of us. But these things, you're not just going to wake up one day and start doing. Usually you have to set your mind to it and say, okay, the only time I could read God's Word is at 6 a.m. I'm going to set my alarm and I'm going to get up and do it. I'm going to pray this morning. So, you know, it takes time. It takes time. They won't just happen. So he talks about, like, hey, is there anybody here who's, like, slacking in their walk with Jesus? If that's you, don't be sad. <laughs> so again, it's not, have, I mean, if we're slacking in our walk with Jesus, that's why we're here. That's why God has his word for you. He's saying, like, hey, there's a prize. There's a prize at the end. So he goes on to say in verse 26, Therefore I do not run like someone aimlessly, running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Um, you know, he just uses this term aimlessly. 
You know what the definition of aimlessly is? It's without purpose or direction. Just kind of floating through life. And I have to say, there's so many times I talk to Christians or people that used to be a part of J-Road or maybe used to go to church regularly, and when I see them, it sometimes feels like there's no purpose, there's no direction, they're just kind of floating through life. It's not good. It's not healthy. It's like we wonder why, you know, we're struggling. It's like there's no mission, there's no purpose, there's no prize you're working towards. They're just kind of just floating through life. Um, and so he's saying, don't live your life aimlessly. And so as I disciple people in, number one, my missional community or people that I know, I like to ask questions that nobody's asking. A, how's your prayer life? When do you pray? I'm not doing it to be critical. I'm just curious and trying to spur you on. How, what do you read in the Word? Uh, you know, are you going to church anywhere? All these things. Because I want people to know. And so yesterday I was at uh, Arts and Drafts. It's a thing that they do in Norton Shores. I've seen a couple of you there. It's like, a, it's like a craft show thing that they do at Ross Park. It's kind of fun. But inevitably, when I go to these events with five, 6,000 people there, I run into so many people. And I ran into this couple that, you know, used to go to J-Road like a couple of years ago. And I just remember they were so faithful. And like, they were like, come up to me after sermons. And they're like, hey, the Holy Spirit really spoke to me. And I'm this, this, and this. And I'm like, that's awesome. And they were growing. And they were in a missional community and all these things. And I haven't seen them any here in two years, so I'm hoping they're going somewhere else. And so we, we're talking and chatting, and I just ask, you know, the elephant in the room. <laughs> the only way I know them is from church. I'm like, where are you guys going to church? And it's just like, you know, their head goes down. It's like, we don't go anywhere. I'm like, why? Ah, just busy, you know, I don't know. I'm like, well, come back to J-Road. <laughs> like, like, we'd love to have you back, you know. It's, we'd love to have you back or find a place to go. But do you see how we see this aimlessly sometimes? Of like there's no aim, there's no like spiritual purpose or direction. And so I encourage them. I'm like, hey, you know, welcome you back with open arms. Um, And we'll love you. Uh, Verse 27 says this. He says, no, I don't run aimlessly. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave. So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified to win the prize. Um, that's kind of how this chapter ends. And so in the original, uh, another translation, it says, like, when I strike a blow to my body, he says, I give my flesh a black eye. I give my body a black eye. Like, I beat up my body. I make it my slave to do what I want. Um, because as you guys know, the race we're living as Christians, we have, like, this internal war between our spirit and our flesh that are always fighting. Do you guys know this? Our flesh is always waging war. It says in Galatians 5.17, it says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so Paul says, I just beat the crap out of my body so it doesn't stay in the driver's seat. I have self-control because that's one of the gifts of the spirit. And I have self-control over my flesh so it's not in the driver's seat. I give my flesh a black eye. And here's the thing. If you don't control your flesh, your flesh will control you. I'll say it again. If you don't control your flesh, your flesh will control you. If you don't control your, your sin, your sin will control you. If you don't control your thoughts, your thoughts will control you. If you don't control your emotions, your emotions will control you. 
And so all these things, you know, are thoughts good? Yes. Are emotions good? Absolutely. But if you're not controlling them, they're going to overtake you. And so he's like, have some self-control. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says this. He's saying, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take every thought captive. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, you have the power to have self-control. And so as thoughts enter your mind, you should be able to filter them. Is this a worry thought? Well, the Bible says don't worry. So, Lord, please forgive me for having this thought. It's not going to be my brain anymore. Is this thought of extreme anxiety entering your brain? Like you could, okay, I'm not going to dwell on these thoughts. But oftentimes, if we entertain thoughts and we're not keeping our thoughts captive, our thoughts can take over. And what a good friend of mine who's a counselor said, he said, we cannot control, it's very hard to control your emotions. We'd all agree with that. It's hard to control our emotions. But we can, and the Bible says, we can control our thoughts. And if you can control your thoughts, your emotions will follow. Does that make sense? You have the power through the Holy Spirit, because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, to have control of your thoughts. Negative thoughts, sinful thoughts, when they enter your brain and you start to think them, you're like, Lord, I don't want to think about that anymore. Please take it away from me. I'm not going to entertain this. Whether it's negative thoughts about yourself, that you're no good scoundrel, like that's from the enemy. It's a negative thought about whatever. It's like it's saying we have to control these thoughts and replace them with Scripture, right? That's why you got to be in the Word. So when a thought comes in and says, hey, I'm a no good nobody without purpose, it's like that's not true. The Word says I'm a daughter of the King. You know who my father is? My dad's God because I've been saved by Jesus Christ. So who could stand against me? I'm a child of God. The most powerful thing in the world, I was bought with the blood of Jesus. Satan's thoughts can't touch me. And if you are able to control your thoughts, your emotions will totally follow. So I'm going to leave you with this. Worship team, you can get set up. I'm just going to say this last point. Are you running the Christian life like a race with intentionality, like Rocky was when he was training to fight Apollo Creed? Or are you just kind of aimlessly hoping that you get to it? You're hoping that you go to church. You're hoping that you do these things. Are you like, no, I'm going to discipline myself. And so the, the question to look at on the screen is, are you involved? Are you doing your spiritual disciplines? And so here's just five to think about. Of course, there's more. And it's the five we shared. Quiet time with God. Number one, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The only way that you could be at all successful in life is if you remain in me, which means abiding in Jesus, spending time with Jesus. So we want to make that a priority. Are you spending time with Jesus, reading his word and praying to him? Are you fasting? Are you giving? Are you following? Are you active in the church? Are you participating in Sabbath rest? It's just a few, but I want you guys to write those down. Hey, if you're here today and you're like, I'm seriously none of those things, but I want to be, pray out to God and ask for strength. Because spiritual disciplines are there to bring us closer to God and to help us, you know, be successful in this race. Because guess what? People that are aimlessly wandering through life, 
I'm sorry, but I'm not really seeing the joy. I'm seeing the head down. I wish this was different. I'm struggling here. I'm this and that. And so these things help us remain close to Jesus. Because guess what? Our flesh is always working against us. It's there. And if you don't intentionally put Jesus and put his word in the driver's seat, your flesh will take over. And that's not a fun place to be. Okay, I'm going to pray. God, we love you and help us be intentional about our Christian life. God, help us be like Pastor Brian, who has a plan for running and achieving this marathon, and help us live our life in a way that we set out for the prize. To look up at you at the throne and have you look us in the eye and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. To hear you say, well done, Megan. Enter my gates. To hear you say, well done, Becky. Come on in. See what treasures await you. To hear you say, well done, Tom. You've been a faithful servant. I prepared a place for you. Come see. God, help us just think about that day and live life here and focused on what's important. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.